The scripture reading today will be from Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. And if you're following along in the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 924. Page 924. Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Good morning. It is good to be with the Mount Juliet congregation this morning. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. And we'd go ahead and extend another invitation. We would love for you to join us next Sunday. Uh, we'll be having Friends Day and our schedule on Friends Day in the morning will be the same. Worship at the same time and Bible class at the same time. And we want to remind every one of us here to be thinking about what friends we will be inviting. Let's begin if we haven't already given that invitation, this today and tomorrow is a really good time to do it. There are little who, what, and when flyers out in the foyer, if that'll help you in, in giving your invitation. And so be sure and, and be thinking and praying and doing that. In the afternoon, we'll meet at Charlie Daniels Park. At two o'clock, there'll be activities for all ages. And then at three o'clock, we'll enjoy some hot dogs together. And at four o'clock, we'll worship together. And so make your plans and enjoy that. A, a little bit of change also this year is that we will be parking this year at the Mount Juliet Police Department. That's where they've asked us to park. And so uh, as you pull in, that's just right there on the left, uh, right before the park. So be very close and convenient. And so uh, make your plans and, and join us in that. And, and we look forward to glorifying God that day and encouraging a lot of people. Be looking for guests next Sunday that you can welcome and get to know. Uh, we have people here that are faithful members of this congregation that the first time they ever came was to a friend's day. And they were converted to Christ and they've been here for years, some of you. And we love that. And we hope that this friend's day this year is that kind of friend's day. Also, as we think about things coming up that we're looking forward to Wednesday night, we will have a new Bible class. As you know, if you're here on Wednesday night, some of our Bible classes are really, really full, which is a great thing. And so we want to encourage you, if you haven't found a Wednesday night Bible class, or if the one you're going to is a little bit too full for your comfort, you're not going to hurt anybody's feeling. We want you to go to this new class if that's where you want to go. It's going to be a great class. The class is simply going to be called Growing in Grace and Knowledge. And Wayne Miller and Matt Cawthon are going to teach that class. It'll be in the upstairs to the right. 
uh, in room 204, and it will be a tremendous time. Hey, if you normally do not come on Wednesday nights, use this as a time to say, I'm going to start coming. You will be glad you did. It is a shot in the arm during the middle of the week, and it is a great, great blessing. You have to get your bulletin for these because I'm just going to give you three reminders of some real important things. Number one, remember the town hall style meeting this afternoon about our feasibility study at five o'clock. Also remember that the flu shot and the pneumonia shots are at five o'clock this afternoon and Meals on Wheels banquet will be following the evening service uh, just about seven o'clock this evening. We appreciate John and Jamie Stallworth and all that they do and all of you that help with this ministry on a weekly basis. We're so excited that Ladies' Day was a great success yesterday. Over six congregations of ladies were was represented and, and over a hundred ladies uh, were present. We've got a couple of pictures of that that will come up next. But as we think about that, I'd like for you to think with me back to our theme this year of Marvel. Isn't it amazing the things that God has done for us? What are you worth? You know, we go into a store and we see a, a barcode on, on objects that we're about to purchase and, and we can scan that and we'll find out what that retailer believes that that product is worth. What are you worth? Sometimes it's easy to get down on yourself. Sometimes maybe other people make you feel worthless. But what if we ask God right now? What if we ask God, what are you worth? God could point to the cross and he could say, I gave the most valuable one that I have because I love you. That's what you're worth. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said it so well, and, and this is not our text for this morning, but I'd like to begin with just reading one verse right out of the middle of some beautiful verses that talk about God's worth and estimation toward us. In Psalm 139 and verse 14, he says, I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully, notice that word, wonderfully made, marvelous. Notice that word, marvelous are your works. And when he's talking about marvelous are your works, he's talking about the way you've created us. The psalmist is literally contemplating how he made us in the womb and how he took care of us and he gave us life. And we know looking back to Genesis 2 that not only give us life, but he instilled in us a soul. And we are made after the image of God. And so the psalmist is contemplating all of this that he's capable of contemplating. And finally, he just kind of bellows out and he says, marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Do you know very well what you're worth to God? That word Paula that we get the word marvelous from, it's in that passage twice. It really is when he says you are marvelously made or when you are wonderfully made and marvelous are your works. That's the same word both times. In other words, he's talking about that there's something distinguished about you. There's something set apart. There's something so much greater than all of the rest of God's earthly creation. You are marvelous. Now with that in mind, I wanna take this thought just a step further. What are your friends worth? What are your friends worth? I sat this past week at a lunch where three or four guys that are older than me grew up in this small town together 
And over lunch, they told story after story of them being in high school and all through the years living their life together in this small town. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And several times during that lunch, I just thought to myself, friendships are beautiful. What about your good friends? Just picture a couple of your good friends. What are they worth? What would you give to help out that friend? What are your friends worth? What does God believe your friends are worth? Well, the same is for you. He placed a soul into them and he made them after his image and he gave his son to die for them because they're worth that much. You know, when we start to really get off kelter in our spiritual life, is whenever we don't value others the way God values others. In a sense, that's what this great chapter of Luke, the 15th chapter is all about. And if you've not yet opened your Bible to Luke, the 15th chapter, I wanna encourage you to do that. If you need to borrow a Bible that's in the pew there, you can look in that Bible on about page 925. And we're gonna be looking this morning at the 15th and the 14th chapter. And, and I'd like for us to just study some very important things this morning together about what's your friend worth what are souls worth? And what a tragedy if we don't value and see others the way the Lord sees them. And what a blessing when we do. Luke 15 is oftentimes considered one of the great chapters in the Bible. And we know every word from God's holy word is precious. And so I'm not getting kind of caught up in this ranking idea. I'm just telling you, if you ever see a list of great chapters in the Bible, Luke 15 will always be there. I'm just bringing that out to say this. Why do people say that? Why does this chapter capture the heart of people? Well, this, this chapter helps us see how valuable we are. Every one of us individually, not just us as an entire church family. Does the Lord love the Mount Julia Church Christ? I, I, yes, absolutely. I hope he does and I know he does. But what about you individually? Yes, he values you. But also it's in Luke, the 15th chapter, where we see this beautiful description of the heavenly father. Remember the prodigal son? And, and, and in that story, we see the father running out to meet him, falling upon his neck and kissing him over and over, even though he stank and he smelled like pigs and he'd lived an ungodly life. The father was gracious. He was merciful and he was celebrating his return. And so when we look at these three stories, we have a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. But there are points in each of these stories that are the same. Number one is the value. We learn the value of each sheep, each coin, each son to remind all of us that each of us has value. Next week, there will be friends that will come and join us and maybe some of them have never gone to church in their life. How valuable are they to God? And would their value to you be the same as it is to God? What about each of us here? How valuable are we and do we consider each other? But secondly, in this chapter, we see that each story, there's a great effort placed on the return when the one is lost. Everyone that is lost has great value and there ought to be great effort placed on bringing them back. 
What can we do to encourage someone to take one step closer to God? Inviting them to a friend's day is a really good, simple way to perhaps encourage someone to take one step closer to God. We can't ask somebody to, to leap a mountain all in one day, but you know what? We could help them see a place where God loves them and they're around people that love them. But then number three in this chapter, what we really see in this chapter is the rejoicing that ought to take place whenever the lost is found. If I say to you, 1 Corinthians 13, if you know your Bible very much, you're immediately thinking in your mind, love chapter. If I say to you, 1 Corinthians 15, you're thinking resurrection chapter. If I say to you, Luke 15, what are you thinking? You know what, if, if you're just gonna do a word count, and say what one topic is spoken about more than any single topic in Luke 15. You know what it is? Rejoicing. In these stories, for each of these stories, there is more time spent on the topic of rejoicing than even telling the story. Look at the lost sheep there. What we just read, the story about him being lost and being found takes less time, less space, than him saying the rejoicing that takes place when he's found. And how he goes back home and calls his friends to rejoice and how the heavenly hosts rejoice. Same way when you look at the story of the woman with the lost coin. There is more space given to the rejoicing that the lost coin is found than talking about how it was lost or how it was found. Same way with the son. The son was lost. It tells a little bit about the far country that he went to. And it tells about him coming home. But you know what the bulk of the prodigal, the prodigal son's story is about? The bulk of the story is about the rejoicing. What should be the response? We see the father's response. Remember the elder brother? We see the elder brother's response. Why is that in this story? Because God is showing through this story, this is not the way to be. Here is a brother that was lost and he's now found and you're not rejoicing? There's something wrong with this. As a matter of fact, if, if you have your Bible open, look there at the very end of Luke the 15th chapter. Look at verse 32. This is finally what the father, and I'm sorry we don't have a slide for this, but notice what the father says to the older brother. This is finally the summary of this story. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. That is the summary. The summary is saying it is the right thing to rejoice. Why do some people not rejoice? Go back one slide. I want you to notice this simple thing. If you don't, number one, value, you won't place an effort in their return. And if you don't value and place an effort in their return, you won't have rejoicing when they do return. Have you ever seen some people that whenever someone comes and they're immersed into Christ, that person just has, I'm not talking about the one immersed in Christ, I'm talking about other people, just has a genuine overflowing rejoicing. Have you ever wondered why? It's because they value souls the way God values souls and they place a lot of effort and trying to bring souls back. And when those souls are brought back, there is a great rejoicing because of one and two. That's what Luke 15 is about. But did you notice 
the scripture that was capably read this morning. It began in the 15th chapter in verse one. And did you notice the first words that were read? The first word itself is, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Now pause there for a moment. Why does a chapter begin with then? Remember, it's man that put in the chapter breaks. So what is really, really awesome is to read the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th chapter down to verse 10 as one passage. That is one Sabbath day that we get to spend with Jesus. All of that happened in one day. And that is the last Sabbath day that we have recorded before the Sabbath day that started the Holy Week. And here we get a glimpse of seeing Jesus interact with individuals. What do we see over and over? Well, especially when we read the 14th and 15th chapter, we see Jesus trying to get individuals to value the people around them, especially those that would be coming to become disciples of Jesus. Are we going to value them? And so what I'd like for you to do is I'd like you to back up to the 14th chapter. I'd like for us to kind of scan a few paragraphs that lead up to this. And when we get back to the 15th chapter, the lesson's yours. I've, I've kind of given you where we're stopping this morning. And, and, and this was uh, this story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. It's Jesus saying to these people, why aren't you valuing souls like this? So now let's back up and say, why did Jesus feel like he needed to say this? Well, this is why he felt like he needed to say this. Look back, if you will, the 14th chapter. In the 14th chapter in verse one, we see that the Pharisees in verse one are watching Jesus very closely. They're wanting to, to trip him up and prove that, that he's not a good or a godly man. And so what Jesus decides to do is he sees this man that needs to be healed. And, and so Jesus heals him, even though it's the Sabbath day. And the irony of this was that the Pharisees and the scribes around them, the lawyers, they would not have healed this man on Sabbath, even if they had the power. But the irony, sad, tragic irony is they would have taken care of an animal. They just wouldn't help a man. Let that sink in. Let that sink in how terrible that is. As a matter of fact, I'd like for you to read with me verse five and six. This is what Jesus challenged them with when he healed the man on the Sabbath and it irritated them. Because keep in mind, Jesus didn't violate the Sabbath. Jesus violated their tradition of the Sabbath. And so here's what Jesus says about them in verse five and six. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. It wasn't that they didn't know the answer in the sense of factual. In other words, the fact was easy to answer. Yes, we would pull a donkey or an ox out on the Sabbath day. And if any of our neighbors said, hey, uh, can I pull my donkey or ox out on the Sabbath day? Any of these religious leaders would have said, absolutely you can. But you see, when Jesus puts it in black and white, it just makes you look so dirty. It makes you look like a horrible person. Can you imagine them being bold enough to say, Jesus, you're exactly right. We value the animals more than we value people. So yes, if a person is hurting on the Sabbath, we will let them hurt all day. But if an animal is hurting on the Sabbath, we'll take care of them. Why would you do that? Well, it's been this way 
I guess almost as long as time stands. People take care of their animals, especially in the agricultural mindset. People take care of their animals because their animals have monetary value. Why does a shepherd count to see if all 100 sheep are there? Because every sheep has value. And if one is missing, that's dollars that are missing. And so they go and they search for the one because of the monetary value. Isn't it interesting that sometime we will place more value on monetary things than we do souls. But yet when we say that, it sounds horrible. It makes us look pathetic. But yet, how many of you that you've got your little fluffy friend at your house right now, and if you got home today, and your little fluffy friend was not in your house, how many of you would search for it until you found it? How many of you would go and ask neighbors, have you seen my little fluffy friend? How many of you would ride around the neighborhood? How many of you would walk around the neighborhood? Now, I don't want any of you now to comment and say, I'd be glad if he's gone because your family's gonna be mad. Now, I, I, want you, I want you to think, Compare what you would do this afternoon to the fact that somebody you probably know used to be here and they're not now. And what will you do this afternoon about them? Boy, that just makes us look bad. Because many of us would just make excuses of why it's not really my responsibility to go hunting for them. After all, it's the little fluffy friend's fault that it ran away. It's not my fault that it ran away. I bought the dog. I paid for the dog. I paid for its vet bills. I fed it. And if it wants to just run away, let it run away. Good enough for it. That's interesting. We don't say that about our fluffy friend. But that's kind of the way we talk about the soul that's left. Well, we were good to them. We reached out to them. We encouraged them. And if they want to just leave the Lord, let, let them leave the Lord. Really? That's not at all what the scriptures teach. And that's not at all the way you treat things that you value. So which one do you value the most? Do you value animals the most? Or do you value people? Are you starting to get an idea of why sometime when Jesus taught, people got uncomfortable? And people didn't always like the way that he taught? The next paragraph, we don't have time to go into, but he teaches some very important things on humility. And let's not be the type of people that plow into a wedding feast and sit in the most important seats and have to be asked to move down to the other. And then the, the verses that follow that is, let's be people that we do good for people that could never pay us back in return. In other words, we'll do good for people that the only way we could ever have a payment back is in the resurrection to come. God will take care of it. Nobody on this earth can do it because we've helped people that nobody, they don't have the ability to help us back in return. But then that leads us, if you have your Bible open, you see there in the 15th verse, of, of Luke, the 14th chapter. Look in verse 15 is, is a beginning there of a passage where there's this great supper that's going to be served and, and the servant is sent out to tell everybody it's time to come to this supper. Now look in verse 18 
And notice what happened when he went to tell the people it's time to come. This is the 14th chapter in verse 18. We see three excuses. Verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Look at verse 19, we see a second excuse. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. That's, that's a lot of oxen. One yoke of oxen could make a man a living. And so we're looking at a guy that has really expanded. In other words, he's not trying to just make a living. He's trying to really get ahead, like big time. Now, is that bad? Maybe there's somebody here that you make a lot more money than just getting by, right? Is that bad? Is that bad? Well, it depends if you use that as an excuse or not. That's, that's what it comes down to. And so here this guy says, wow, I've got five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another says, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so each one is saying, I want you to excuse me. What is an excuse? An excuse is a statement that we make where we try to beg off of our responsibility. Let me say that again to make sure that we're settled in on that. An excuse is something that we state to try to beg off of our responsibility. And what we learn in this passage is that excuses anger God and it does not alleviate us from our responsibility, but it leaves the situation unfulfilled. On this next slide, we just have the three bullets of what we just studied. Isn't it amazing how things have not changed over about 2,000 years? We still make excuses and we use our property as an excuse. We use our possessions as an excuse and we use people in our life as an excuse. When you have the opportunity to make an investment in someone's soul, to make an investment in their life, if you say, oh, I'd love to do that, but I've got property to take care of, does you being bold enough to verbalize it and just state it, does that alleviate you? Is this too simple? Does that, like when I studied this this week, that became profound. Like, you know, there's some people, there's some people that they're supposed to do something and they just don't show up. They just don't do it. And someone says, wow, they're irresponsible. But then there's somebody else that they're asked and they're bold enough to just say, hey, I own fill in the blank. And because I own that, I'm not going to be able to do what you need me to do. Well, because you're bold enough to just say it now, all of a sudden it's not your responsibility anymore. No, that's the whole message here of excuses. What excuse flashes through your mind about reaching out to souls. Well, when my family is at such, at such a busy state, yeah, that's number three right there, people. 
Do you think because your family's busy, God is going to say, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't even notice you had a family. Yeah, you go ahead and just invest all of your time with your family and let the other souls around the earth, <laughs> let them try to figure out their own way to eternity. Don't, don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm sorry I even brought it up for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm sorry I haven't mentioned that. Yeah, you just take care of you and your little own and don't worry about everybody else. Like if you're just bold enough to verbalize it, does that excuse you? Are your possessions, do, do you realize how many toys I have? Listen, it takes a lot of time to keep this many hobbies juggling. I mean, you gotta understand, I golf on this day and I go fishing on this day and I go hunting this time of the year and we always go on a trip this time of the year and we own timeshares here and we own here and here. Well, you understand if we have that many possessions, like we'll have to be excused. I read a couple of quotes this week that probably you have seen some of these. Excuses are the tools of incompetence used to build monuments of nothingness. If it's your responsibility, it doesn't matter what excuses you come up with and it doesn't matter even if other people say, oh sure, sure. Yeah, I, I forgot you had all those hobbies. Yeah, absolutely. I understand. Yeah, we couldn't pull you away from fishing to help souls. Absolutely. What were we thinking? Excuses don't change anything. It doesn't alleviate you from your responsibility. Second quote, nobody is impressed with how good your excuses are. And when we say nobody, especially start with God. God's not impressed at all. He gave his all so that you and I could be saved. The next paragraph has three statements that says, you cannot be my disciple in Luke 14, 25 through 33. If you don't love your family more than God, if if you're not going to be willing to bear the cross, or if you're not going to be willing to take all, if you're not willing to do those things, he says, you cannot be my disciple. So then we come to Luke 14, 35, and you'll notice that there are two sentences in 35, and the last sentence is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, I know this is very different from our tradition, but Jesus is out teaching in a public place, and as he has taught these things, literally people have gotten interested in it. You start talking about excuses, and this may sound odd to you, but even people that weren't followers of Jesus were like, what's this guy talking about? And then he talked about who can not be my disciple, and, and people started drawing near. And so Jesus, I know this, we don't really have anything to compare this to in our society, but Jesus out in public, and it's almost as if he was giving a public cry now to say, hey, I've noticed that a lot of you have started listening. I'm gonna continue teaching. If you have ears to hear this type of teaching, Come on in. In other words, right now, I feel like I have to talk really loud because some of you way back there are listening. Come on in closer and we're gonna continue studying together if you wanna be my disciple. That in essence is what he says at the end of 14. Now remember we talked about why did he start with the word then? Look at verse 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. Well, you would think that the Pharisees and the scribes being very religious in verse two, 
would rejoice. But they don't. Look there in verse 2. They complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. He invites in the sinners and then sees the reaction of the religious people. And it's almost as if he says, sinners, you're welcome to listen to this. But for just a minute, I'm going to have to tell three stories to these people right here. Because they ought to be rejoicing right now. But you see, the problem is they don't value you. You. They don't value that souls that are lost are coming closer. And so I'm going to tell them what I think of you. I think you're valuable. And I think that a lot of effort ought to be put into redeeming you because I'm about to die for you. And I think that there ought to be great rejoicing because you're coming home. And when we look at the rest of Luke, the 15th chapter... That was Jesus' way of trying to help us see the value of souls. What I learned today. Number one, I learned it's shocking how easy it is for us to value things and animals more than other souls. I don't want to do that. Number two, I learned I need to evaluate excuses I've made. And I want to stop making excuses. I don't know if you need this exercise. But I beg you to go home this afternoon and I beg you to keep in your mind all week long the reminder to hold yourself accountable. What excuses are we making that we don't even know we're making them? We've made them so long we've convinced ourselves it's true. What excuse would God be looking down and saying, do you not see how valuable these souls are around us? Number three, I want to genuinely rejoice over souls because I value them and I search for them. What are you worth? What are your friends worth? Luke 15 is a reminder that we're worth more than the whole world to the Lord. We're worth more, even so much so, that he would give his son. Can we help you today move closer to the Lord? We're saying that reminded of how valuable you are. And we're sincere. We want to help each other. We want to value each other. We want to help each other so that we all spend an eternity together. And if you're ready this morning to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, or if you're ready this morning to be restored, or if you're ready this morning to say, I want to do something, but I just don't even know what to do, we'd love to just sit down and study with you more. God is so good to us. And he loves us and he wants to spend an eternity with us. Let's do that.